Welcome to the Comic Sauce Podcast, where we talk comics and comics culture, presented by Cape and Cowl Comics. I am Henry Liu, and today I am once again joined by Clara May. Clara, how's it going? I'm great. Good to hear. So today we're going to cover a number of things, but first off, I thought we'd talk about Jessica Jones Season 2. So... This is kind of funny. We've been sort of holding off on talking about this season um, because, well, to be honest, I was sort I of waiting <laughs> for you to finish it. Which he was you, waiting for me to finish. Yeah, and which I never did. You never did. <laughs> so that in itself is kind of interesting, right? Um, so yeah, let's talk about it. So quick spoiler alert: we're going to get into some plot details. And, um, well, actually, let me ask you, since you didn't technically finish this season, are you okay with getting some plot points later on? It's fine. Honestly, at this point, I'm like, I I don't care. (laughs) Just go ahead. Spoil it. All right. So that's where we stand here. Um, So, yeah, let's start with you. You clearly had some issues with with this season. Um, Well, first off, how far along did you get? I got through, I think, the end of, like, uh, episode four or five. Okay. I actually was going to go until six to, like, make a valiant effort to at least be halfway through, but, like, Netflix didn't download it, so I couldn't <laughs> even watch an episode, like, on the train this morning. Uh, but, um, yeah, I, I'm not even, I would say, like, a fourth of the way through. Got it. And life is too short to yeah. painfully torture yourself and watch something that you're not into, right? Which is actually hilarious because I watched all of Iron Fist, which I would argue, <laughs> not that we're going to go back into this, but I would argue that it was way worse. But um, yeah, I feel bad because I fully support what the show is doing. I know that they got all women directors you know, right. for season two, yeah. which is incredible um, and all... I don't know if it's all women writers, but I know that they just had a huge behind-the-scenes cast of women. Um, cool. And I, you know, respect that, and I think that's important. But when it comes to the story on screen, I just couldn't get into it. And I think it might be because, not just because of the writing, but maybe because of Jessica as a character. Mm. But but I also see that as a fault of the writing. I just there were lines that stuck out to me and it kept eating at me. And finally I was like, you know what? I don't care about your story. I'm giving up. Okay. Yeah. It's pretty interesting because it seems like what you're talking about is what I'd identified as something that, you know, I didn't have a huge problem with. So I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like you're talking about some of these lines that might be regarded as, feminism for dummies kind of moments, right? And, um, you know, as a heterosexual male, I'm kind of like, oh, that's cool. You know, you go girl (laughs) kind of thing. Right. So like uh, a couple moments there was, I think there was a use of like the B word and Jessica got very upset at at the man who said it. And she's like, what am I? Am I a dog? that sort of thing. And there's another uh, moment where the phrase, don't get your panties in a bunch. And Jessica Jones' mother took offense at that, right? She's like, you never call them panties, like call them underwear or something like that, right? So for me, it was sort of like, oh, that's cool. You're calling that stuff out because like these terms are kind of thrown around 
kind of nonchalant in our everyday culture, right? And to me, it's sort of interesting, like, just to call out, like, oh, when people do say these things, they are, they, they can be offensive, right? Um, but tell me a little bit about your perspective about these sort of, I don't know, perhaps sort of ham-fisted yeah, moments. In the four episodes I watched. Yeah. Well, like, you, so you saying those lines, um, I definitely remember at least the dog one. Okay. Um, and I guess when you were talking about it, I thought of Supergirl, which is kind of a show that when it came out, it was compared a lot to Jessica Jones because when they both debuted, it was kind of like the two we had on air um, that featured female protagonists. And I think they both kind of do the same thing, that you have these really basic like girl power moments mm-hmm. with, those, with lines like that, yeah. um, which you could call Feminism 101 or <laughs> if you're in like um, – feminism circles where it's maybe more inclusive um, of like women of color we tend to call that white feminism uh-huh. <laughs> because it seems like the one thing it kind of pushes back on is like oh girls don't wear pink or girls don't like being called girls you know we need to call them women or you need to be empowered you know all these little like nice truisms yeah um, and yeah I think they're pretty basic but that on its own doesn't bother me like if it if it had that you know, and only that, I'd be like, okay, that's fine. Okay. They're trying to, like, dial it down to, like, the, you know, lowest common denominator for people. But what bothered me is, on top of those, they also had real moments of actual white feminism in that there's scenes where, like, this one scene that stood out to me is where there is a Latino character who's introduced with mm-hmm. his son. Yeah. And maybe this gets flipped. You can talk about this later from totally off base but um he moves into the building and then jessica jones is being jessica jones you know she's like breaking shit and um just being kind of a drunk and and then like there's the whole plot where the man dies like right in front of the building right and this latino guy is like um he he kind of calls the cops on her um and then she leads the cops to his door something like that and then he gets Mm -hmm. upset and then Obviously, as a Latino guy, and you find out later he has a background of being in jail, having a white woman call the cops to his door is, like, a big no-no. And also, she's, like, super-powered, and people are dying around her. So he just doesn't want his kid anywhere near her. And I thought that made sense. But she comes to his door, and she's like, oh, you're just a bigot. Like, do you know what prejudice (laughs) is? You're just judging me because I'm super-powered. And there's a scene of her explaining to a man of color what prejudice is and then yeah it would be cool if she said that and then he'd be like what are you talking about like look her who you are talking to yeah you know like i'm brown <laughs> but the show doesn't actually examine that i don't think mm. it realized what it was doing in that scene right. and it just goes it goes on and i was like oh that was a moment to call out jessica yeah you know in her privilege like yeah she's Mm -hmm. a woman so she's disadvantaged in certain ways but she's also white so she is advantaged in other ways and the show just wasn't smart enough to kind of peel that back yeah and i just like that one scene i was like oh this is gonna be one of those shows (laughs) like the whole season (laughs) like they're not gonna realize what they're doing with this and yeah i just and then there's other there's like small things like you see the way she treats um her neighbor the black mm-hmm. guy just kind of sometimes rubbed me the wrong way. Okay. And it's just, it's all these little moments. And I don't know in this season if they introduced any prominent women of color. Um, 
I don't, at least in the first so. four episodes, yeah, I didn't see it. And then I heard a friend told me that they kind of muddied Luke Cage's wife's background a little bit. If that oh, I didn't catch right. up. I didn't pick yeah, they that. They said something up on like that. she had a little. She wasn't like a saint, like you thought oh, she was. Okay. So then suddenly yeah. it seemed like the narrative is trying to say Jessica Jones is maybe a little more justified in literally okay. killing this woman. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that for me was like the final thing I needed to hear. I was like, I don't really want to watch this anymore. You know, because uh, I don't. Yeah. It's for women, but it's not for all women. Right. You know? I I completely I'm sorry if that's understand. A lot. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, um, when you pose the question, were there prominent women of color on the show? Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, the the, the showcase roles are Jessica Jones, mm-hmm. Trish Walker, uh, the, the uh, yeah Jerry Hogarth, yeah, Jerry. and then Jessica Jones' mother. Yeah. So all four white women so yeah there's there's your answer uh there are no prominent women of color in the show and yeah that is kind of interesting that you know what you mentioned how there are people of color on the show but there's not a whole lot of depth to them yeah you know i think that would have been an interesting conversation where if the latino guy had sort of you know kind of snap back at her yeah. about like well like who are you talking to like instead he just kind of took it right yeah and he, yeah and then yeah he expect he accepted it at face value that yeah i am i am prejudiced against you because you're super powered you right know? right like, so he just went along with it yeah yeah and then yeah there's malcolm on the show mm-hmm. there's there's that asian guy in the show too and oh the one who's like who has the oh my god he's trying to sue her or something. right he's yeah. kind of like an asian bro yeah. and kind of annoying <laughs> uh, which is fine you know it's yeah. it's cool to see you know some Different representation there yeah. but again like i don't think there's a whole lot of depth to yeah. any of these people of color right and so. maybe what does that say when you're supposed to side with the white woman and her kind of antagonists the one you know they're disagreeing with her are two men of color you know mm-hmm. there's layers to that that you could examine but i don't trust that the show did i mean maybe it yeah. did you can tell me if it did but um and <laughs> wait, wait like, sorry say that again i kind of missed it well so jessica jones you obviously side with her she's the protagonist she's yeah. a white woman and then her antagonists the people who oppose her are two men of color you know at mm-hmm. least in the four episodes i saw the oh, guy, right. the asian guy so what message does that send and you know what like what are you trying to convey with that if yeah, you're not examining yeah. that interaction yeah uh, these are all great and interesting points yeah and this is kind of an interesting conversation because to me it's not all about like you know the the the, the whole diversity and inclusion question like you know we need more representation etc we, we all know these things but you know to what extent you know so like on a surface level you know we're seeing you know women in prominent roles and you know the this entire season of jessica jones is like women-centric you know white women-centric like you're saying (laughs) but still women-centric um but is there an aspect where you see like well that's great and all but let's push the envelope a little more let's go deeper with this you know we've seen this before where it's a sort of surface level feminism and 
like you would just like to see a little more than like your standard like like what you said, feminism one on one. Yeah, especially if they have that many women behind the scenes. I mean, somebody should have said something, you know, during the the writing phase that maybe this isn't being as inclusive as it can be. Um, and I honestly think that's kind of a, a shortcoming of all the Netflix Marvel things. I think all the shows do excel in one area. Maybe it's really progressive in one way, and then you're kind of looking at the other ways it could have been progressive and they really just fall short and you know and i'm still waiting for that show i like the netflix show that i wholeheartedly love you know Mm -hmm. so maybe marvel has like a a fifth show i guess six if you count defenders you know they will do all these things i've been hoping for that stars a woman of color (laughs) we'll see okay so yeah i thought we'd move on and talk about the rest of the season which i did see and enjoyed there was, uh, to me, there was a lot to like about this season. You know, I thought the first season of Jessica Jones was bogged down a bit by the the Kilgrave character. Yeah. And I think David Tennant is great in that role, but, and we talked about the, the writing of season two, how you weren't such a big fan. I thought the writing in season one was a little bit sloppy. Like the, the Kilgrave power where he can make people obey his every word, it was very inconsistent. Like at times it seemed like you could just cover your ears and you're okay. And at times they talked about some sort of particles coming out of his mouth and actually it wasn't about hearing it. It was actually about these like little particles entering your system. And I I, I finished that season like genuinely not clear on his abilities. And that was one of those kind of what you're saying, like, I just couldn't get over it. It's like, this is bugging me, you know? So I thought season two wasn't bogged down by that. Obviously, Kilgrave was killed at the end of season one, so he wasn't around so much in season two. He did he did appear in season two, but more as, like, a voice in Jessica's head. Mm-hmm. And that kind of worked well. He was pretty funny, and there were some cool comedic moments there. Um, so that was cool, and, you know... A lot of the season, I thought, was Jessica Jones doing stuff that we want to see her doing. She's investigating. You know, that that is what she is. She's more than a superhero. She's like a private investigator, right? So there was a lot of, like, just scenes of her investigating. And that's cool. Like, just she's investigating and she's being Jessica Jones. She's being sarcastic. And, um, I mean... The, the appeal of the character is these things, I think, you know. Yeah, doing, kind of getting back to who she was before yeah. the whole, maybe the whole Kilgrave thing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's, I felt that it was kind of refreshing to see her back in her element, doing her thing, you know, cracking one-liners and being sarcastic and funny, you know. So that, that worked for me. And I think Kristen Ritter was really good overall. Like, I think she has really figured out like what this character is all about and um, very believable. Like she's very naturalistic in the role. And um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I definitely can sort of understand like all of her, her motivations and everything yeah, and yeah. her performance is good. Yeah. I do love her acting. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's definitely really good in this role as is Carrie Ann Moss. Now, 
I'm not sure if you got to the point where Carrie Ann Moss's character had this kind of big breakdown. Yeah, I did see that. So she finds out she has, um, I forgot what it was, but she's diagnosed. And then right, she with like a has, terminal yes, illness. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And then she has this whole kind of spinning out where she has this wild party and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it goes deeper, too, where she finds someone who might be a healer. Did you get to that point? Yeah, I kind of saw some of that, but I don't remember what the result was. Yeah, it was basically it was basically wishful thinking. Like yeah. there's this guy who is claiming to be a healer and she kind of bought into it and she was duped essentially. So it was she was completely crushed. Oh. And so there was there's a scene where she when she discovers that she was completely duped and she's not going to be healed and she completely just breaks down. It is super heartbreaking. Yeah. And it is it is, it's amazing. Like, her performance is like, wow, it's like a home run, you know. Um, so I did want to call that out. Kristen Ritter and Carrie Ann Moss were, were, like, fantastic on this show. Um, not so much with the Trish Walker character. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, I mean, her trajectory, her character trajectory in this show is, like, crazy. <laughs> like, you probably caught some of it where she's, like, exhibiting these uh, like sort of addictive behaviors, yeah, yeah. and um, I mean, it is. I mean, Rachel Taylor is, you know, a very beautiful actress. Her acting maybe is not so great. Um, like so, I mean, her her performance in the season is. I mean, it, it felt like kind of like a soap opera yeah. performance. It was very like after school special, like don't do drugs type stuff, you know. Um, do you feel like it set her yeah. up by the end of it to be kind of um, like Hellcat? Because I know a lot of people were yeah. pushing her to have her own show. Or so, yeah, therein lies the probably the most interesting aspect to this character. So, you know, performance aside, could have been better, <laughs> I thought. Um, ultimately, the character is pretty interesting because it, it does set her up at the end of the season to become Hellcat, oh. essentially. So... Um, she's kind of pushing to become a superhero throughout the, the uh, season two, you know, mm-hmm. and she's like using this like inhaler the, thing. Yeah, the enhancement drug. <laughs> yeah, thing. and she's kind of getting this like high off of getting superpowers and like kicking ass and stuff. Um, and then, yeah, the season does kind of end with her attaining superpowers and She's just like on the cusp of like becoming superhero, essentially oh, becoming Hellcat. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I would love to see you know what she brings to the table yeah. next season for sure. Um, maybe she can work on her acting a little bit, <laughs> but we'll see. Um, yeah. And uh, speaking of next season, season three has been announced. Yeah. So uh, we will be seeing. Or maybe you—not you personally—but there <laughs> um, will be a season three of did Jessica they Jones. Hire some women of color and some women writers of color. Then yes. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. There you have it. Um, I think that's. Uh, I think that's good in terms of our our recap. Um, as far as we can go, considering <laughs> one of the two of us has nothing yeah. to say. <laughs> oh, one other thing I wanted to mention. So. I thought the season dragged on a little too long. I think this is a general pr- 
problem with these Marvel Netflix yeah. shows. I mean, every season, every individual character season has been 13 episodes, 13 one-hour episodes. That's a lot of TV. It is. You know, and I think uh, I think maybe should, they should go down to 10. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know what's up with the formula, but I think all of these shows should have been. Yeah, eight to ten episodes, and for some dumb reason, I think Defenders shouldn't have been eight episodes. That one should have been the thirteen episode one. I'm just like, what are you guys doing? Why is it all backwards? Yeah, there were some interesting choices there. Yeah, and yeah, no, literally with Jessica Jones season two, I thought it would have been a good ending where Jessica Jones' mother was imprisoned, so she was put in jail. Uh, near the end of the season, and that felt like a, a, like a logical end to the season, but I think it was, yeah, it was like episode 10 or so, and then, like, the next few episodes involved her, like, getting out of jail, and then, like, Jessica hunting her down, and there's this showdown, and, like, it, it felt very extraneous, yeah. you know? Uh, so kind of so, like how Daredevil season two had, like, two different plots, Instead of maybe it should have just had the one. I mean, in that vein, yeah. like I, I love Daredevil season two, yeah, and yeah, I want yeah. you know as much Elektra and Punisher as I can get. Like I was yeah. happy, but uh, maybe like, not within a single season because it. Yeah, yeah, arguably, yeah, and then similar here, like it just felt like maybe they were like filling up thirteen episodes, yeah, yeah. you know, whereas they made of maybe could have had a logical end after 10 or something yeah. like that. So so there's that. Um, pluses and minuses. Overall, I enjoyed it. And um, I think the same can't quite be said on your end, Clara. <laughs> I'll try. I'll let you know when I finish. It might be um, when season three comes out. <laughs> okay. Oh, so you're not completely writing off oh my God. this no, show. You're not I, like no, ditching I, it. I'm kind of like a completionist. Like I have to finish things before I feel like I can watch the next season of stuff okay. or like whatever next team up. So I'll finish it eventually. It's just literally been like kicked down to the bottom of my watch list. There you go. There you go. Okay, let's move on. So recently there's been quite a bit of movie news. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that a bit. It was a pretty big announcement by DC that Kathy Yan would be the director for the Birds of Prey movie. You wanna talk about this a little bit, Clara? Yeah, I think this is an amazing hiring. Um, and I hope it sticks, because I know the DCEU is kind of notorious for hiring people, announcing them, and months later, all of a sudden, it's a different director. Right. Um, but hopefully it stays, um, and it sounded like they were really you know, excited to have her because I think this is a part of the shuffling the DCEU is doing now, kind of in the wake of seeing that their um, team-up movie, Justice League, did horrendously, like yeah. way, yeah, way um, underperformed. Um, and then the whole thing with Joss Whedon, where he admitted he didn't know what he was doing with the Batgirl film. And then mm -hmm. just general um, more awareness around the fact that maybe people want to see women directing films about women characters. So yeah. it sounds like DC is going to kind of stick with this. Um, and it's cool because this is the third woman director hired under the DCEU after Patty Jenkins yeah. and then Ava DuVernay. Mm -hmm. And it's actually the first female Asian director ever tapped to hire to 
film a superhero film. So Yeah, very cool. Yeah, so it's crazy when you think about the fact we don't even know what an Asian woman's perspective looks like for mm-hmm. a superhero film. So yeah. that in itself is really exciting to me. Um, and then you actually have an Asian woman writing the film. So Christina oh. Hodgson was also hired. Um, I know that. Yeah, so she's writing that. And she's also, that same woman, Christina Hodgson, has also been tapped to write Batgirl which was the one that Joss Whedon dropped off of. Mm-hmm. So now we have an Asian woman writing two things and then another Asian woman directing at least one of those things. So yeah, that's pretty amazing. Um, and it's pretty amazing that Kathy Yan was even hired because she's one of those directors where the only thing she has under her belt are kind of like these short films. Right. And then she has one longer film, Dead Pigs, mm-hmm. which I'm actually going to watch at the cam. It's the local Asian American film festival in the Bay Area. Yeah, so I'm going to see that. Um, And it's just cool that she got this chance because this is only ever given to, like, white dudes. (laughs) Historically, yes. Yeah, so, like, I always think of um, originally the Flash director that the DCEU got was Seth Graham Smith, who, like, he was hired to be the Flash director even though the only thing he had to his name was two episodes for, like, this MTV show. That okay. nobody watched. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, like, there was Colin Trevorrow, who did, like, a really small indie film before suddenly jumping up to Jurassic World. Mm-hmm. Um, James Gunn, the Guardians of the Galaxy director, yep. did a pretty small indie film that was, mm-hmm. like, it grossed, like, $15 million yep. before being given, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy. So yep. this just doesn't happen for women, specifically women of color. Yeah. So that the DCEU is kind of like, this is their full scramble mode. I can see it. <laughs> but like the fact that they're willing to take this chance, you know, yeah. is incredible. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And when I heard that Kathy Yan was announced as director, the first thing that came to my mind was all the haters saying, <laughs> like, well, what has she done? Like, yeah. what are your credentials, yeah. you know? And then exactly it's what like you no just said. Yeah. Like, this is, this happens all the time with mm-hmm. white male directors, you know. Oh my like, god, or like Josh Trank. Oh my god, the guy who did the terrible Fantastic Four movie. Oh yeah. <laughs> and they only hired him because he had that one really popular indie film that mm-hmm. gave him this huge franchise, and it was awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, you know, look at uh, the Russo brothers who are directing Avengers: Infinity War. Yeah. And people right now are saying like oh of course these guys are amazing but you know when they got the job for winter Winter soldier Soldier, they hadn't directed a single film they were like tv directors or producers you know they did comedy television it's completely unproven in this realm right uh so it's pretty ridiculous to to call out this yeah woman of color saying oh where are your credentials well we see it all the time right so and we see it you know to great success yeah. you know this there are cases that, that you've mentioned where it has failed but uh there are also times yeah. where like an unknown filmmaker yeah. is hired and it the, the film does great so yeah. um it can work it's kind of a big question mark though right because yeah. like you were saying the dceu is just scrambling to like <laughs> i know they're cleaning house yeah. or they're yeah. they're making these huge yeah. changes and um, it is cool to see these risks being taken, um, but you also gotta wonder, like, oh, are really are they really gonna like stick with 
with these decisions. Yeah. Like everything's so unstable right now. Uh, so we'll see how it pans out, right? Yeah. It's definitely a positive, but, you know, I can never decide what's sticking with the DCEU. It's right. Like, it's the Wild West out there. Yeah. I mean, you look at the the slate of directors. I mean, with James Wan, Eva DuVernay, mm-hmm. Kathy Yan. I mean, we're talking about tons of female and mm-hmm. people of color directors, which is completely unprecedented, right? I think they definitely saw the success that Taika Waititi and then Ryan Coogler were finding with yeah. Black Panther and Thor Ragnarok, and they were like, oh my god, we have to mm-hmm. get on that, like, and and just with everyone calling out Joss Whedon, I think they, they saw it. I yeah. think they saw that they were about to crash and burn if they didn't do something <laughs> that Marvel hasn't really done yet, which is hire, like, women of color directors and hire more people of color in general. Right, and so. they did kind of lead the, the way with a female director on Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. um, so maybe there is some hope that they will sort of stick with this uh, risk-taking yeah. formula, yeah? But, yeah, we'll see. It, it's it's very uncertain. And um, one, one trait that DC has done is sort of copy Marvel, and um, <laughs> they're, they are doing that, right? Yeah. We mentioned Taika Waititi and Ryan Coogler, I think. Yeah, these moves are very much in line with what Marvel has been doing. So... Um, with that in mind, maybe they will stick with it because they have yeah, a history of think, copying uh, the MCU. Yeah, right? and they, they've already um, distanced themselves from Snyder. Um, yeah, they got oh, right. rid of Whedon. So I think they're definitely trying to find a new tone, a new direction that really lands with audiences. And you can also see that with how... So this announcement came about with Kathy Ann, and all of a sudden um, David um, Ayers... Uh, mm-hmm. Gotham City Sirens was like just quietly put I mean no one knows where that film went but um, that was what was supposed to come after Suicide Squad the same director Mm -hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden this news comes out and they're saying that um, Robbie Margot Robbie um, pushed for a director for a Harley Quinn film which kind Mm -hmm. of hints that she wasn't having a great time maybe working with Ayer okay. <laughs> for Gotham City Sirens. So, and that's why she like insisted on having a woman for okay. this. So I think you see them just kind of pulling back the slate of maybe really dude bro-y or dark films and trying to maybe catch up to Marvel now. But yeah, with yeah. the plus of also having diversity. Right, exactly. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. The headline that I saw was... Kathy Ann will direct the Harley Quinn movie, mm-hmm. which I was like, oh, there's going to be like a solo Harley Quinn <laughs> yeah, movie. But it is yeah. a very misleading headline yeah. because it's actually the Birds of Prey movie, which is like yeah. a team-up movie, which is interesting, which includes Harley yeah. Quinn. And typically she's not on that team, though. That's yeah. usually <laughs> it's usually everyone but Harley Quinn. Um, and then meanwhile, people were like, there's Gotham City Sirens, though. And that kind of overlaps with Birds of Prey. And then there was supposed to be Whedon's Batgirl, which also kind of overlaps with all yeah. those other two. <laughs> so it was like, this is a mess. But it makes a lot more sense if you just wipe uh, Sirens off of the map. Because then you have right. Birds of Prey, which can then set up... A solo movie for Batgirl because she's on Birds of Prey team. Yeah, yeah. So then that makes more sense. So I can only be led to believe they kind of are going to quietly, you know, put Ayer's movie to bed. <laughs> it sounds like it. Yeah, it does sound like it. And it is kind of interesting to me that, 
you know, the DC movies are really scrambling to just try to get something working, right? Um, it is kind of what we saw with Justice League, right? That film felt like this sort of kind of Frankenstein-style yeah. yeah. filmmaking where it's just like this patchwork of... You could feel like aspects of the movie were just kind of thrown in there. It's like, oh, let's make yeah. it more comedic. So let's have Joss Whedon put in some quippy lines in yeah. there. And it was just this weird patchwork film. And yeah, these recent moves kind of feel like that too, right? It's yeah. sort of like, well, Harley, Qu- Harley Quinn is really beloved, so like, let's definitely have her in this movie. Um, maybe the Gotham, Gotham City Sirens thing, yeah, maybe it's a little too sexual. Like, oh, let's <laughs> yeah, put that yeah. aside. Well, how about this Birds of Prey thing? You know, let's get that going. Let's get a female director. Wait, let's make her Asian too. <laughs> you know, so um, there are a lot of promising things here, but like the history of these DC movies has really been like reactive and oftentimes that doesn't make for a good film you know when you're completely reactive and you're just sort of like trying to figure out what do audiences want what do critics critics want to see and if you spend too much time like sort of obsessing over that it it oftentimes is not a great product right I really just hope they allow these women to do their thing yeah. create whatever movie feels honest to them because that mm-hmm. you know like with, when it, when I think about the Fantastic Four film I remember how Trank was always like oh there's too much studio meddling yeah. and I think about too that Ava DuVernay was originally tapped to do Black Panther but then she right. stepped down because she was like it felt like too much studio interference or mm-hmm. like she just wasn't aligning with the studio yeah. in their vision so I find it interesting that she signed on to do the DCEU instead which yeah. makes me hope or wonder or whatever that they promised freedom, you know, yeah. creative freedom. And so I hope if there is creative freedom that we'll just really see these interesting, innovative, perspective movies that we just yeah. haven't seen before with superhero yeah. films. That's a good point because, you know, we've seen the success of filmmakers in the MCU that did take risks. You know, yeah. we look at what James Gunn did with Guardians Taika Waititi with Thor Ragnarok and Ryan Coogler with Black Panther, you really got the sense that they got to make the films that they wanted to make. Yes, right? that they would want to see. Yeah, and it does sound like with Ava DuVernay joining the DCEU, it was kind of like, well, I'll join, but you got to let me do yeah. what I want to do, right? A la Gunn, Coogler, Taika Waititi, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of an optimistic perspective right so <laughs> yeah i'm trying to keep you know fingers yeah. crossed but uh, it does make sense because it's sort of like what you've been doing hasn't been working yeah, so why don't so you just, well just let them do yeah their let thing. them do their thing right and there is kind of a track record of that working on the marvel side so it could work yeah it could work okay so moving on there have been a bunch of new trailers released so maybe we can talk about this a little bit deadpool 2 the final deadpool 2 trailer trailer came out and um, did you see this uh, latest trailer? Yes, I did. Yeah, what'd you um, think? And it introed the X Force team. Yeah, which I thought was really interesting because um, that's usually put together by Cable, but now obviously it's Deadpool who's getting them all together. Right. Um, so my theory is that they're not actually the main. That's not the them fighting is not the main plot. Like they'll fight for a little. Yeah. And then they'll be like, oh, this is a misunderstanding. Probably Deadpool's misunderstanding, let's be real. Yeah. And then they'll team up. Right. Um, 
But for now, I thought it looked really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm upset because it's making me care about a Deadpool movie. <laughs> because I was like, I'm not going to watch this. This is super fratty, bro. Yeah. But, like, then they introduced, like, Zazie Beats as Domino. They have Terry Crews as Bedlam. And, All like, right. I love Terry Crews. Like, yeah. I don't watch anything with him in it. And there then they hired Louis Tan. Yeah. A Shatterstar. Mm-hmm. And I love Louis Tan. Yeah, he's great. I was like, I'm on a podcast with him once, and now I like have to support him forever. Super cool. Yeah, because he's so great. Yeah. Um, and then they cast Shiori Kutsuna, who's okay. a Japanese actress. And no one actually knows what she's playing, but she kind of like just pops in as the like X-Men friend of oh. Negasonic. She, like, just comes along with her. The Asian girl with, like, the purple hair. Okay. You know? So she's there. So I thought it was a very diverse crew. Yeah. A very interesting crew. And then, like, they have that guy, like, Peter. Yeah. <laughs> just a normal dude who's there. <laughs> yeah. And then they have freaking the guy, Bill Skarsgård, mm-hmm. the guy who played Pennywise as Richter. Right. So it's just, like, this really intriguing team of people. And, like, Deadpool, you can tell, is completely unequipped to lead a team. Yeah. So, like, the premise to me is really intriguing. Yeah. I mean, we just talked about letting filmmakers and actors do their thing. Yeah. I mean, I think the Deadpool franchise is like the ultimate example of this. It's literally just Ryan Reynolds just going off. Yeah. And, you know, I'm kind of in the same boat that you are where, like, I'm not the hugest fan of, like, this sort of white frat boy style of comedy, but... Like, the, the freedom of these films really shows, you know, and um, I can't help but sort of like what I'm seeing, kind of like you, right? Like, what really got me was the DCEU reference in the trailer. Did you catch this? <laughs> or well, Cable's... like, it's so dark. Yeah, he's like, oh, you're so so dark. You, you sure you're not, you're not from the DC universe? And that just, like, oh, my God, it's so brilliant. And, uh, yeah, the... the uh, the meta humor of it all, like the self-referential stuff, it's it, it can really be pretty awesome. So, yeah, um, yeah I think uh, it's kind of sucking me in. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited for it. I think the only holdback I have is freaking why is TJ Miller still there? Like, oh, right. that dude, I mean, like, aside from the assault accusations, like, he literally called in a bomb threat. Um, oh, right. A woman who it sounds like he was harassing her on the train. She didn't take yeah. kindly to it. So he's like, well, I'm going to call a bomb threat in. You know, it's kind of <laughs> and it's it drives me nuts because this is the single film where you could literally swap out an actor and actually reference it in the film. Like oh, right. do a fourth wall break. Right? right. So it yeah. would be hilarious. He could just look at the camera and be like, is that you? You know, <laughs> like, what the fuck happened? You know, and yeah. it's like you could actually make it funny. You can literally like just replace him with any dude like yeah. who doesn't even remotely look like tj miller right right and reference it and it'd be funny but like. yeah so that's a good point because you know as much sort of side character diversity yeah, there yeah. is in this movie it really is like fueled by this like white bro culture yeah. you know with ryan reynolds as deadpool and tj miller in it you know yeah so it, it's yeah, hard to I'm, get behind you know it, it is because like i actually like the scene in deadpool one where there's these two girls fighting him and then he's like oh is it sexist if i punch you or is it sexist if i don't punch you like it's hard to decide yeah and i thought that line was interesting and i thought it was funny because like he's acknowledging Something where like you're maybe you're not sure what it would look like yeah. with this you know male character fighting a woman, and I thought it was clever. <laughs> yeah. So then to go from that to this, I'm like, come on, Ryan, like you have to know <laughs> that T.J. Miller's presence is really going to turn some people off. Yeah, yeah, you know. So I just hope for 
you know, Deadpool 3 or whatever, that they just, you know, axe that character and then I'll be fine. I can deal with all the, like, <laughs> dick and ball jokes. Like, it's go. fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm guessing it was, like, he already shot too many yeah, scenes. It was yeah, too I late to pull out. Like, uh, But, yeah. Yeah, just for the future, I should. I want him gone. There <laughs> and I'll go. be fine. For the record, yeah. Clara declares. <laughs> listen. Yeah, putting it out there. Hollywood, listen. Yeah. All right. Uh, so another trailer that came out was Venom. Mm-hmm. So this was the second Venom trailer. The first Venom trailer, we literally saw nothing. <laughs> uh, so it was interesting. This latest one, we actually do see Venom. We see some effects. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Oh, God. Where do we start with this? Um <laughs> I will say I loved the effect when he fully transforms into Venom. That was kind of cool. That was incredible. Yeah, where his mouth kind of folds over and his tongue comes out. I thought that was amazing and looked way better than the one that we saw with uh, Topher. Oh, my God, oh Topher, Topher Grace. Grace. Yeah, <laughs> Spider-Man that, 3. Yeah, I actually love that movie, and I fight with people about it all the time. <laughs> but I thought, like, the specific effects of his face were gross. But, okay, um, yeah. Yeah, I thought this was a huge improvement. Uh, CGI wise, mm-hmm. but I also don't know what Tom Hardy's doing <laughs> with this character. Um, I'm at the point where I'm like, is Tom Hardy ever not doing a voice? Like, right. I don't know what he sounds like. Yeah. Because this is like, I just feel like it's some weird fusion of like his Bane voice and then like some Brooklyn voice he's trying to do. Yeah. But yeah. he lives in San Francisco. <laughs> so and it's I was like, yeah. it's like a Brooklyn accent, but yeah. it's almost like an old timey yeah. movie Brooklyn it's accent weird. or something. And then like, it, but he kind of puts like this kiddish quality to it. Yeah. So I couldn't even place how old his character was supposed to be. Yeah. Because I think he's like almost 40. I don't know how old he is, but he's definitely not that young. But then in the movie, he sounds like he's trying to be like a 28 year old aspiring journalist or something mm-hmm. i don't know i was getting weird vibes all over the place <laughs> i thought it was wild right um, so and like you were telling me earlier this movie takes place in san francisco right yeah. so he lives in the bay area yeah. so why this super bizarre east coast ish accent you right? can barely understand that's my thing i'm like okay fine do some weird accent but if i can't even understand half of what you're saying how am i supposed to enjoy this film like venom <laughs> the actor who's playing the venom voice i could hear better than tom hardy and he's an alien <laughs> like or he's not even human so i i don't know it it was weird it was like new cgi mixed with like kind of the vibes you'd get from a toby Maguire era spider-man Mm-hmm. But yeah. then it also feels weird to have a Venom movie without Spider-Man in it. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I just don't know how they're going to connect that. Right. I think I would have cared a lot more if Tom Holland was in it in some way. Right. Which I've heard there's some rumors that he might cameo yeah. or something. But that, that's, to me, the ultimate reason I don't want to see this movie. It's like, yeah. it's a Spider-Man movie without Spider-Man. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. And Venom's like no in thanks. San Francisco. Like, how is Spider-Man going to get over there? He has to, right. he's like 15. He has to fly. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I just don't get it. Right. Um, and that weird accent, I wonder if it all stemmed from The Dark Knight Rises, where, I mean, that was like, in my opinion, like one of the best parts of that movie is like yeah. crazy fucked up accent, right? It was yeah. just weird and like unexpected yeah. and it really stood out, you know? I wonder if it was Hardy just being like, well, 
I used this really bizarre accent in that movie and people really <laughs> dug it. So maybe I'll just do some weird shit here too. Or I don't know, you know? I actually, I love Tom Hardy as an actor, but I keep feeling like he keeps getting roles that aren't actually meant for him. Like, I just don't feel like this was a role for him. I feel it like does it was seem a, weird. Yeah, yeah I, I think it would have fit better with somebody else. Um, I guess my only other thing is I like Riz Ahmed. It's cool to see oh, yeah. him in the film. Um, I'm kind of bummed he's the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Kind of wish he was just Venom. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Honestly, just swap them. Um, but yeah, I, are you going to see it in theaters? Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's not on my list at yeah. the moment. You know, um, the fact that it is not part of the MCU is like weird, also, yeah. right? Because supposedly it takes place in the spider-verse i guess uh, the sony spider-verse if th- such a thing exists um but it doesn't play take place in the mcu which is just super confusing i don't know i mean especially with like the fox entertainment deal you know like it seems like the, the lone holdout now is the spider-man sony property right yeah. so it's sort of like let's just give them give them spider-man like 100 percent, and let's yeah. just integrate the whole thing yeah. And this movie is just this weird, like, outlier. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't really know what to make of it. And, and yeah, it is it, odd. You know, it's just like strange. something they're doing just to hold on to the rights. or so, You know, because yeah. I know that they have to make a movie, like, every, what is it, four to six years right, to right. hold on to those rights. And it just it feels weird, especially, like, there's Tom Holland, who's super baby-faced, like, 15-year-old kid. They have the hints of... You know, like I said, the Silk, Cindy Moon character being there. And then maybe Miles Morales, who you know is going to be a young kid. So there's like Mm -hmm. these three Spideys and you have this old dude (laughs) in San Francisco who's Venom. And I'm just like, how are we ever going to get these people in the same scene? And it is going to be weird. There's like this sweaty old dude who's like, you know, supposed to be some anti-hero that they're kind of working alongside. It just feels weird. Yeah, it just, it just smells of something that in the future is going to be sort of swept under the rug. Yeah, like and the like, first Hulk. Yeah, <laughs> people are just going to pretend it didn't happen, you know. Fantastic Four. Yeah. yeah, like the the most recent Fantastic Four movie, right? Yeah. People are just going to say, oh, let's just pretend that didn't happen. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I could see that happening here too. Okay, next one. Um, so this is a comics podcast. But I don't know, we're Asian, so let's talk about crazy rich Asians. So this Deal with it. Yeah, exactly. Deal with it. Um, this trailer just dropped. This is the first trailer for this movie, so I think a lot of Asians were kind of anticipating checking this out, getting yeah. their first taste of it. What were your thoughts after seeing this trailer? Oh, my God. I'm so excited for this. Um, so I read the book, like, last year because I knew the movie was coming up. Um, I thought the book was okay. Would not say it's, like, an amazing um, storytelling book. I mean, mm-hmm. it, like, there's a lot of descriptions of items. The plot is, like, eh. But um, it looks like the movie might kind of smooth over all those bumps that, okay. you know, the book just didn't, you know, really figure out what to do with. Um, and, like, the cast looks amazing. And I thought that, you know, like, the clothes and, like, the opulence kind of I mean I in the book it's cons- it's way way higher than what they can show in the film mm-hmm. like if they actually went by what the book was describing like this movie would be broke like <laughs> you can't actually fully portray the ridiculous opulence of this like inner society of ultra rich Asians um, without having a huge 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 investor um, mm-hmm. but I thought they did a really good job for what it was and like I'm super excited for all these actors 
Um, I don't know if I felt like the chemistry between the two from the trailer, the main two. Mm-hmm. Um, but hilariously, I didn't feel the chemistry between the two in the book. Okay. So maybe <laughs> so, it's just going along with that. So maybe, yeah. yeah. Um, but there's a lot of really interesting side characters, especially the mom of the guy, uh, which right. is played by Michelle Yeoh, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Yep. Um, she is an incredibly interesting character and I can already see that she had really good chemistry with Constance Wu. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually more excited to see that than the romance, honestly, because the romance is a little stilted, like in the book. I I, I didn't really, you know, sell me on it, but oh my God, this cast is amazing. And then, uh, Gemma Chan is in it. Her role's amazing. Um. Who does she play? I think she's playing Astrid, uh, which is the sister of the rich guy she is dating. And she's kind of like the friendlier Asian woman who's there who kind of tries to be a little more accommodating to her when she comes into this crazy world of rich Asians. Um, Yeah, I'm excited. Well, that's good to hear you're excited. Are you not excited? <laughs> I, I gotta be honest. What is this setup? <laughs> I'm not super excited. Now, like... Is it because it's a rom-com and you're just like, well, not for me? That's pretty much exactly what I was yeah. going to say. You know, like, I'm absolutely all for the representation in this movie. Like, why don't we see this more, etc., etc. It's just kind of like, oh, we got all these great Asian actors together. Yeah. Does it have to be this movie, you know? Oh, yeah. You know no, what I mean? Yeah, that that's valid. I've actually um, seen a lot of uh, criticism of it from mm-hmm. um, Singaporeans and okay. people who live in China because the whole plot is these characters are Chinese. This is in real life. This is how it is. They're Chinese, but they live in Singapore, I believe, and that's where they kind of build their ultra mansions. Okay. And it's kind of like the Singaporeans who live there normally don't really take kindly to these people who are like, hello, you're like building all these expensive places on our land. And so like I've seen a lot of criticism of the person who wrote the book doesn't really fully understand the dynamic between these two cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, so they don't know if the movie is going to examine that in any real way as mm. well, especially because they didn't cast any like Chinese Singaporeans. It's all like Asian Americans. Oh, right. Um, yeah. Or like British American or <laughs> British Asian. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely a dialogue around it you can find online where people are like, yeah, it's cool, this is representation, but there's valid criticism of this culture that it portrays. And yeah. then just, it's a rom-com. Like, yeah, it really is a rom-com, yeah, like, and it felt like a pretty standard, yeah. by-the-numbers rom-com, oh, yeah. right? Let me tell you, the book is super basic. Okay. And the story, <laughs> like the romance, I was just like, okay, this is what it is. <laughs> like, it's very shallow, honestly. Okay. Um, so it's cool to see all the actors together, but... Yeah, I think I think it's weird to kind of some people are treating it like, oh my god, this is the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> is people are like, oh, Crazy Rich Asians is our Black Panther. Like we need to support it. Like how, you know, and there's like this implicit like digging at like you know the black community, like how they supported their film. Right, they should right. be supporting our film, Crazy Rich Asians. <laughs> and it's like the highest level of bullshit, you know? Yeah. Because it's like. <laughs> Uh, no. No, it's not. Okay, first off, not even the same genre. So why are you, like, get that out of your mouth. Yeah. Like, it's not going to appeal to everyone the same way Black Panther did. Yeah. Because it's not building on this franchise. It doesn't really speak to all these deep cultures with, you know, the clothing 
and the and the languages and the hirings like this is about a very specific subculture of mm-hmm. very rich Asians that most Asians cannot in any way um, relate to right, at right. all yeah. like and it just even imply that connection is like oh see there's our comic book connection so we can't talk about it <laughs> there you go <laughs> yeah there so, you go no this is not our Black Panther and that's ridiculous like our yeah. Black Panther is Black Panther like why are we like Asians should have supported that film exactly because it's an incredible film yeah like Black Panther um, and yeah we'll watch Crazy Rich Asians but to pretend it's some like progressive political like uprising like this is our moment is ridiculous because it's, yeah it's really upper 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 class Asians. yeah exactly so true and i will say this my main concern when i heard about this project was that well it's a movie called crazy rich asians mm-hmm. obviously there's going to be crazy rich asians in it <laughs> and how am i going to identify oh, with yeah. all these rich people yeah. but it does seem like the point of identification is through the constance Wu character right yeah uh, and she's more like down earth everyday person right so at least from that perspective, I can feel like, well, I, I, at least I can sort of have an entry point yeah. into this world, yeah. right? Um, that said, yeah, it just really does feel like kind of a run-of-the-mill rom-com to me. Mm-hmm. And here's like really where I have uh, a lot of you know complaints about the Hollywood system. You know, if we were getting more content with Asian actors, yeah, I wouldn't have. This problem, right? It's like, oh yeah, you know, um, you know, that's that's great. A rom com starring Asians, that's great. But if this is the only like Asian led cast in like twenty fucking years, like, <laughs> then I'm I'm, I'm thirsting for something yeah. more, you know. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, it's it's just uh, it's so aggravating, you know. Um, yeah, there's this obligation to support it, even if you have all these reservations. Yeah. Or you feel this obligation, even though you have reservations. Or if you just don't care about rom-coms, which <laughs> a lot of people, especially guys, don't. Like, yeah, it is it is frustrating. And it like kind of circles back to a lot of things we talk about on this podcast. Like, why couldn't this other project have an Asian protagonist? Like, why yeah. can we only have stories where it is canonically an Asian character because then those things just don't get optioned for films. And that's why like this is, I understand this is why it's so groundbreaking is because it's canonically about Asians and it was even optioned for a film. The director is Asian. So that on its own is like, thank God, like Hollywood took a chance, but it's also like, did Hollywood take a chance on this because it's about (laughs) rich people, you know? (laughs) Right. You know, it's just, yeah, it, it points to the fact that we still don't have enough and so we shouldn't be celebrating it as any sort of like oh my god this is our black panther because it shouldn't be we shouldn't ever be satisfied with a single film that celebrates a single subculture we should be constantly pushing for more hell yeah you know like i mean we've seen it we see these movies come around literally once a generation you know it's like we get a memoirs of a geisha we get the joy luck club and you know, End of the Dragon was like 45 fucking years ago. You know, like, it's just ridiculous. And like, every time a movie like that comes out, you know, like, End of the Dragon was a huge hit. Joy Luck Club was a huge hit. Every time they come out, there's all this buzz. Like, oh, we made it. Yeah. You know, here we go. And then, like, we don't hear anything yeah. for like 20 years, you know. And it's uh, it's unfortunate. You know, it's yeah. really depressing, man. Yeah, and I think the thing that bothers me, like, 
being an editor for like a film website is there are indie films that are directed by Asians and they just never get the kind of buzz that these big Hollywood stuff get. And I yeah. just, I wish people <laughs> looked past the main Hollywood system and it was like, well, you know, there are projects there, but you know, maybe, you know, instead of like taking sideways digs at things like Black Panther, why don't you focus on your own community and like boost all these indie things that you're just like ignoring or even there, you mm-hmm. know? It's like use your time productively and, you know, and just uplift your own you know, indie projects within your own community. Come on, guys. <laughs> yeah. Amen. All right. So a little bit more on the DC movie front. Yeah. So there was some Aquaman footage. Yeah, speaking shown. of Asian. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, How do you feel about this film, Henry? Well, I'm not sure because there hasn't been a trailer <laughs> for it yet, which is kind of inexplicable. Which is incredible because he was, so James Wan was asked that. Yeah. They're like, why is there not a trailer for this? Isn't it supposed to come out like, is it this year? This year. Next, oh yeah. my God, this like, year? End of the oh year. God, I was yeah. being sarcastic, but <laughs> oh my God. So he was asked this and he was like, well, I don't want people to think that the you know, the film is subpar and right now, you know, I don't have the footage that I think would look really good in mm-hmm. a trailer and i'm like well that is concerning <laughs> that's very concerning. Like, <laughs> because it's coming out this year and if you don't have the footage you can't put together good. two good minutes of what you filmed so far min- oh my god hmm. look at what venom did it was like a non-existent trailer and they still got away with it like yeah yeah to me this film is very weird like on the surface i support what it's trying to do like there's an asian director um they race ben Aquaman, which I think is mm-hmm. forever awesome yeah. that Jason Momoa is there. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, <laughs> I have been looking at the IMDb cast list. There is not a single Asian woman or Polynesian woman in this entire film, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. to me was like, how dare you? <laughs> you know? And like, and actually, if you look at the whole cast, the only like Asian Polynesian men, there's three of them. So there's Jason Momoa, there's Ludi Lin, and then there's the guy, oh my gosh, I forgot his name, but he plays Jason's father, okay. Aquaman's father. Um, and that's it. And then the entire rest of the cast, other than I think Black uh, Manta, um, mm-hmm. is white. Okay. Like, <laughs> there's white people everywhere. And so like this whole opportunity to tell like a unique Pacific Islander story with Jason Momoa is just gone because there's nothing oh, right. else there. Yeah. yeah, you know how like Taika Waititi he worked in. You can see Maori um, influences oh, in yeah. the background um, yeah. and the designs mm-hmm. um, of like the walls and the clothes and the stuff Hulk wears. You can kind of see his culture bleeding through. And then he hired that woman who is the side. Um, the side character to Jeff Goldblum's character. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So she was there, um, and so you could see all that influence there, and James Wan just can't do that same thing Mm -hmm. with Jason Momoa because there's nobody else there to really bring that in yeah the story yeah. and i'm just i'm just disappointed honestly <laughs> like again it, it goes back to the crazy rich asian things i feel this weird obligation to support it but i'm also like you don't have any asian women like you barely have any asians in the cast mm-hmm. and i feel like the movie is going to be a train wreck if you don't have a trailer <laughs> so how am i supposed to support you bro like come yeah on. exactly and one thing i thought of was what we talked a bit about with the Kristen Wiig casting in Wonder Woman 2. Yeah. Like, 
great comedic actress, but like, is she the right fit for that role? I kind of think that way about James Wan. James yeah. Wan is a phenomenal horror director. Yes. You know, he, he, he has that genre down, you know? And I just really wonder, like, why are they hiring this horror director genius oh, yeah. for this movie? I think this you was know? a holdover. You can feel it. It was a holdover from when they were still under the Snyder dark universe type thing mm, because yeah. they also, like I said earlier, that Flash director they originally hired, the Seth yeah. Graham Smith, he was a horror writer. So he did the friggin' Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter thing. Okay, yeah. So yeah. he, yeah, so for a while, it looked like their slate of directors was kind of leaning horror, dark, mm-hmm. to fit with Snyder's image, but then it all fell to shit. Yeah. And then now they're trying to fix everything, but Juan is kind of like the holdover, right? Because he was already in right. production. Yeah. So I feel, I don't know what to do with this movie because I feel like they realize that and they're now they're trying to fix it behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And it's just all very concerning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that goes back to our, like, DC being kind of this big mess and yeah. we're not sure what to make of it. We can hope for the best, but it really is a bit concerning uh, what we've heard so far and what we haven't seen so yeah, far, you know, yeah. no footage, no trailer, you know. So we'll see. Yep. Uh, so speaking of Wonder Woman 2, uh, some news on that movie. Supposedly it's going to be set in the 1980s, Yeah. right? Oh, yeah, what do you know about this? I, I think this is kind of quirky and weird, and it, it kind of builds on a feeling I've had for a while. Um, in that it seems like all these movies we're getting with the women protagonists are set in the past. And I don't know <laughs> why. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. So there's Wonder Woman. It was literally like what World War One. One. Yeah. And then we got Agents of Carter. Agent Carter's obviously in the past. Yeah. Like the same like 1950s. And then we're getting Captain Marvel, which is also set in like the 70s. And then now this one is set in the 1980s. And I'm like, why (laughs) are they trapped in the past? I just don't understand. (laughs) Like, what are they doing back there? And um, I read this piece once, um, I think, on, like, comic book, um, CBR.com, where this person was like, you know what? Maybe this is happening um, because the writers are maybe not brave enough to deal with sexism in the present. (laughs) Because then it might alienate some of their fans. Uh Because let's be real, some of Uh these fans are super sexist. So they combat sexism in the past because then it's easier to say, oh, yeah, you go, girl, if it's like these old guys who are being traditionally sexist and, you know, they're kind of having their new wave feminism. Yeah, yeah. Like, I I don't really know, but I just think it's weird. I think it's weird they keep going backwards for Wonder Woman. Right. When, like, the nicer thing would be to move her forward mm-hmm. after Justice League yeah. and let her kind of have some life outside of these dudes. Yeah. But it's like she keeps getting rewound. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, a big appeal of the second Captain America movie was seeing Cap yeah. in a modern-day setting, right? What is this guy from the 40s? going to do in the modern world right and what sort of decisions is he going to make and is he going to adjust well to the current day and yeah i think it would have made a lot more sense to push wonder woman from the world war one era to like present day right so it's an odd choice and it makes me think is it because there's this huge like 80s nostalgia boom happening right now (laughs) with like right could be with like ready player one Mm -hmm. like stranger things and everything yeah 
I'd hate to think it's just because of like a trend. You know, it's like, oh, people love the 80s nostalgia. Yeah. Let's give them more. Like, and they might be trying you know? to link her with like the kind of Gloria Steinem type, you know, because I know Wonder yeah. Woman had a phase where she was really big um, in that new wave of feminism that kind of happened around that time period, mm-hmm. 70s, 80s. Uh, so maybe that's what they're just trying to get on. I also think they made a terrible mistake with almost killing off all the, or I think, did they kill off all the Amazons in Justice League? Oh. <laughs> I cannot even remember. It's like I blanked this movie from my mind. But I think they did. I think they killed off, like, a lot of them. Yeah. Right? So I wonder if they're like, oh, my God, we have made a terrible mistake because <laughs> we basically killed off all of the interesting allies that she has. So now yeah. they have to go backwards when they're still alive. Oh, right. right. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I wonder if this is also just a response to, like, Justice League effing up Wonder Woman's story. Oh, maybe. Maybe. And now they're like, oh, shit, we need to fix it. Yeah. I was thinking, too. If you're going to go retro, why not go to, like, Linda Carter era Wonder Woman, like the 70s and, like, that disco theme song and everything and kind of revisit that somehow? <laughs> actually have her there. Yeah, that seems kind of interesting to me, but it feels like, oh, we got to go 80s because 80s is, like, what's in right now, and yeah, that's, that's kind of annoying. It's, I'm tired of the 80s, man. I I know that's probably like your. <laughs> that's my jam. Yeah, I was like, yeah, that's your jam. But, <laughs> but like, I agree. I, even I'm tired of it. It's like enough of this shit. Yeah. Let's move on. Come on. <laughs> yeah. God, I don't know. But f- fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. It's still, yeah, it's still. Uh, what's her name? Uh, Pat Patty Jenkins on it. Yeah, it's still so, Patty Jenkins. Still. I don't Gal Gadot. The, yeah, I actually don't know who the writing team is, but if it's a woman, um, yeah, I it might be good. I don't know. Could be. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, we're running a bit long. Let's wrap it up. And today is Wednesday, April 25th. And you know what that means. Tomorrow sees the release of Avengers Infinity War. So, I mean, we've talked about this quite a bit already. But since it's so close, like I thought, you know, let's get our final thoughts before we actually see the movie. What are your final thoughts, Clara? Um, final thoughts are, I hope all the original Avengers die. Um, <laughs> you actually <laughs> hope time. they die, huh? It's time. It's second after the movie starts. I'm going to be like, get in the coffin, get in. Um, I'm tired of it. I want new, because I want new people. So my hopes are that at least half of the team dies, um, and we get to see replacements for phase four. Like, I really want Jennifer Walters, She-Hulk. Mm-hmm. I would love to see Kate Bishop's Hawkeye there, um. Because I think at this point we have so many dudes <laughs> on the team, all these movies, and I want to see yeah. more women solo films. There you go. So there you, you got to go. go, you guys. It's time. <laughs> and, you know, I have mentioned how, you know, the the main Avengers are very beloved to me, and I would be very sad if <laughs> they died. But on the token where you're talking about, like, in the comics, the Avengers is an ever-evolving team. Yeah. You know, it's not like the same dudes every time. Like, the, their membership has changed greatly over time. And um, it wouldn't be a huge stretch for Marvel to have, like, a whole new slate of yeah. Avengers, right? And when we say whole new slate, it's not just superheroes we've seen before. So there's been speculation that, like, the new core Avengers are going to be Black Panther, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange. That would be cool, of course. But um, what might be even cooler is in, you know, phase four of the MCU, we get to see brand new superheroes join the team, right? 
And uh, yeah, so I mean, anything is possible. And that's the kind of exciting thing right now, like the day before release, we don't know like yeah. what's gonna happen, right? So some people do, but you know, oh like, right, well the yeah, premiere like, yeah, did the, happen, or yeah, the the press the screening, journal, yeah, the journalists yeah, now, <laughs> the journalists that have higher credentials than I do, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's nice to be on the cusp of having like closure almost because yeah. this is 10 years now that's been building up to this and the idea that we can finally get like a bow tie on top of the storyline we've been following for years and years is pretty amazing mm-hmm. it's very exciting um yeah and it, like i i joke but I, i'll still cry if people die <laughs> but you know it's i'm very excited to see how this wraps up yeah i was gonna ask you about that so i mean obviously we're both like pretty consumed with this culture right and we see a lot of movies we watch a lot of tv all the above comics reading uh, you know um but you also write a lot about yeah geek culture do you find that you're so consumed by this stuff on a regular basis that like your excitement level for something like this is maybe a little diminished because it's just like you're maybe over inundated with it like what are your thoughts about that 100 percent. you kind of become detached from being just a viewer and you're watching as kind of like a critic it really does put you in a different mindset um where you're watching it but you're like okay but (laughs) why would you do that or why did this happen or why you know yeah i yeah i think i joke about it because i've like detach myself from being attached to these characters because I've written like so many think right, pieces about it. So, but I, I say that, but I know as soon as I get in that theater and something happens, I'm going to cry because like <laughs> I have an immediate cry button on, you know? Like, uh, so I talk a big game <laughs> and I do want them to go for story reasons, but I'll still cry, you know, if someone dies. So you're still, you're still attached. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I definitely, I, there's a side of me that like, for plot reasons, of course, I want you to go and I want, you know, more diversity. But yeah, for emotionally, it's still going to hit me hard, I think. Right. And I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, like if you got to the point where you're completely detached and you weren't watching these movies and shows without any sort of excitement, it's yeah. that's probably time to hang it up i mean yeah right i think like i think fans need to realize that like the journalists you know the press we do this because we love it so much like we made it a job because we love it so much so if we're critical of something it's because we deeply care about making it better Mm -hmm. you know so so that's why uh, that's where i'm coming from when i say okay they need to go yeah is it's been for most of them it's been almost nine films and story-wise, and to do the characters justice, you have to put them to rest when their arc is over. There you go. <laughs> and that's what I want for the Marvel Universe, is to wrap it up. That's a great point. Like, on the sort of a, a um, knee-jerk reaction, like, maybe, I mean, you don't want Iron Man to die. You don't want yeah, you Captain don't want America to, to you die. You never want them to go. But if you but. think longer term, you know, what's better for the story? What's better for this universe, yeah. you know? Maybe it is time to say goodbye, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Tomorrow is the wide release. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm super excited. You know, like um, kind of like what we've been saying. You know, like we consume so much of this media, 
at times I do feel a little bogged down and like, it's like, ugh, like um, I have superhero fatigue or whatever they call yeah, it, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, like a moment like this is, I can't help but be like super excited. I have this childlike glee, you know? And I think about growing up with these characters and um, I can't wait. Yeah, I cannot yeah. wait. I cannot wait. And uh, yeah, we'll yeah, see. It's a decade, man. This is going to be good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's not the end. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, anyway, we'll see what happens. My says, one door closes when another door opens. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we'll say goodbye to some, but that means it will just set the stage for others to follow on their footsteps, you know? Yeah, and that maybe is more exciting than anything, uh, this sort of new beginning, right? Yeah. What is this new Marvel Cinematic Universe going to be like? So we'll see. Okay. Yeah. All right. And with that, we can wrap up the episode. This is Farewell from Henry and Clara.